Exodus 33:11 says this. Moses would speak to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses would speak to God face to face or the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Imagine this. This is beautiful to think about that this is the calling for us. This is this is what we're supposed to be aiming for in our relationship in our prayer life with God, these face-to-face encounters, these, these moments in which we come in contact with God and we can't help but be changed. And we've talked over the last few weeks about all these guys who experience that. And I love it for us. But at the crux of this whole series, it's not enough to learn about how God interacted with people thousands of years ago. It is to experience that for ourselves here today, in our quiet time, in our moment, through our week, wherever we choose to pray, wherever we come in contact with God, that we would seek his face as friend, that we'd have face-to-face encounters with him. As I mentioned, this is the the final uh, talk in this this series. If you want to catch up or you missed a couple, uh, they're all available online at scog.com, and you can always download the podcast on our app is really an easy, easy way to uh, make sure you, you don't uh, miss. I had someone last night was like, oh, I got to gotta do my homework. It was Laura Warren. She's like, I, Jared, I got I to get home and do my homework. I got to listen to the last couple of messages because she's been in the, uh, working in the children's ministries the last couple of weeks. So that was funny just to think, I got to do my homework. Um, anyway, I hope it's not homework. I hope it's a little more insightful than that for you. But oh, that was okay. Uh, we are launching a new series next week. And this new series is called Trending Now. And so trending now is we've looked and scoured over Twitter and Facebook and all these different uh, areas in which there's just these pop-up kind of trending things, take five uh, quizzes to know what kind of Lord of the Rings character you are, you know, all these kind of weird things that just grab your attention and, and suck all your time, and then all of a sudden you wonder why you have 20 viruses on your computer. Well, they're because of these dumb little trending now things that just pop up and, and uh, hold your attention. You know, which Marvel superhero are you? I know you've taken that one four times, Isaiah. Uh, so, <laughs> so we've got, we have all these, all these things that just kind of grab our attention. And why do they grab our attention? Because they matter to us. They pique our interest in some way. And so what we want to do until from now until Thanksgiving is really kind of topic jump into different things that really matter to us. They answer the questions of now what? Okay, maybe I've had this face-to-face encounter with God. Maybe I've had this moment with the Holy Spirit. But now what? I think often we get into a place, get into a moment in our lives where we're like, okay, I understand the whole Jesus thing. I'm going to, uh, going to church. That's nice. But now what? Right? And so this whole next series is going to be great to invite your neighbors and your friends uh, to and to come in. It's going to be extremely practical things uh, with sermons titled like uh, How to Make Thanksgiving Taste Better, Five Ways to Have More Money, Four Ways to Beat Stress, How to Talk About Jesus and Not Be Creepy, Turning Brats into Angels, Parenting 101. All right, we're even going to talk about the um, scary stories, and we're going to talk about who Satan is and what that all has to do with Christianity and how we come against that and what that looks like. All right, so very, very practical, maybe questions like, how does that work? What, huh? Because in the last two weeks, I've gotten more questions about the role of the demonic uh, than I have my whole 12 years of ministry experience. So apparently, you guys care about this and are wondering questions about it. So... 
we'll give you some answers. Okay. Which might lead to more questions, and that's okay. Uh, so we will, we will deal with that in one of these messages. But that's our, our order of events, or just there's no order there, but we will be talking about those things until Thanksgiving. I'm very excited about trending now and uh, really stepping into now what kind of questions. What do I do with this? Where do I go from here? How does that apply to me? How do I make my faith have feet, if you will? So that's where we'll be going. Back to Jonah. Jonah, if you are familiar with the Bible at all, if you got to go to Sunday school, or if you got the pleasure of showing your kids Veggie Tales 8,000 times, or you ever worked at Family Christian Bookstore like I did, you got to watch the Jonah video over and over and over and over and over again. But Jonah is a prophet who happens to be swallowed by a whale. And often we get stuck there. That's all we know. Jonah gets swallowed by a whale. He's that guy. Okay, end of story. He gets spit out. It's kind of gross. I don't know what's going on there. Right? That's, that's where we stop. And so as we, but the thing about Jonah is he comes in contact, not with God just once, but several times throughout a four-chapter book of the Bible. It's only four chapters long. You can, it is one of the smallest books of the Bible. You can read it through several times in the time it takes you to do any of the other books. Yeah, it's packed full of all these things. It's also very just, it's an interesting book. It's one of those, the ending of the book is not happy. God doesn't answer Jonah's questions. God doesn't fix Jonah's problem. God kind of leaves him in a cranky little mess. Going, well, you're going to be angry? You choose to be angry. He leaves Jonah really in a pity party. It's kind of interesting. We'll get there. We'll get to the end of the story. We haven't even started yet. Why? What's going on here? Jonah is called to go preach redemption to a city in the empire of Assyria called Nineveh. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Jonah, Jonah is about two-thirds back. You're going to use your table of contents, okay? Jonah is hidden. It's so small in the Old Testament. It's okay to use the table of contents. It does not make you less of a Christian. Uh, So just go ahead and use that, or your your phone will really help you on that one. Um, But Jonah is back in the back, or two-thirds of the way. It's in the back of the Old Testament. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So this is not a Jewish city. There's no, probably no Jews living in Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. What's going on in the ancient world is you have three centers of power almost all the time in the ancient world. Nineveh, Assyria is in the north of Israel. You have Babylon or the Persian Empire or the Babylonian Empire, whatever you want to call it over here, uh, in the present-day Iraq. And you have the Egyptian Empire, which is in Egypt. I didn't know that one, did you? Okay, so the Egyptian Empire is in Egypt. And so you have these three centers of power. The problem with the promised land, God's gift of the promised land is beautiful because it sits at the crossroads of the ancient world. Everyone, if they want to trade with these three empires, have to go through Israel, which is an opportunity, Right? All the roads lead through Israel. It's an opportunity for money. You get to tax that that road. Uh, Illinois people know all about taxing roads. Uh, Learned that when I moved here. So you know this. They they can do that. But you also get to share your God, your information, your culture with all these people that are trade routes through these three different empires. It also has a problem of sometimes these big empires don't want to pay those tolls and they just take over your country. 
right? That's what happens with the Babylonian Empire and the Egyptian Empire and the Assyrian Empire. They're fighting over Israel all the time because they want access, basically, to the freeways. So uh, Assyria, Nineveh is very apparent to all the people in Israel, but it's always viewed as a great enemy, as someone who wants to conquer them, someone who wants to take over, to take over their lives. When, when uh, Jonah is written, the people have just gotten out of bondage from the Babylonian Empire. So they just got their country back. They just moved back. And so they're sitting there, and God says, Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to the Syrian Empire and preach to those guys because they're so bad and so wicked. I'm going to pull a Sodom and Gomorrah on them, and I'm going to smite them. And Jonah, in his heart of hearts, goes, That's a bad thing? This, this is what he's doing. Jonah is not a nice guy, right? He, he's not going to win, win uh, you know, miss, Mr. Congeniality or anything. He's like, wait, you're going you're gonna to kill him? Yeah, yeah, I want you to go and preach redemption for him because I don't want to destroy him. But the road they're on, it's, it's going to be bad. Nineveh is probably about a city of 250,000 people. It's huge in ancient estimations. Huge. And Jonah's like, well, I want to go. And so what Jonah does here is verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He headed in the other direction. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying for the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He has a distinct call on his life, and yet he turns and goes the other way. He runs in the other direction. Jonah has chosen to do this. It goes on, verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. What happens is the sea starts to get a storm, as the Mediterranean often does. This big, huge storm happens. The boat's going to sink. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and I will become calm. I know that it is my fault that the great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Uh, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It's very interesting what's going on here. I want to set the contextual stage for this. Jonah has a lot of literary devices going along. I love, when I read the scripture, delving into what is happening here. What would this have meant to the people of that time? How is this in context? What is actually going on here? And so the whale thing is kind of hard to believe. Just going to throw that out there. It's, it's a little interesting. A guy got swollen by a shark, a fish, a whale. What's going on here? And <clears throat> scientifically, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I also believe that God part of the Red Sea and God raised dead people for life, so why can't he do a whale swallowing you whole? It's Okay, that's not big of a, a jump. See, the thing for the, the Jewish people, the stretching of their faith wasn't that a whale swallowed Jonah. It was that he wanted repentance for the Assyrians. That that was harder to believe, that he would want to redeem, want to save these good-for-nothing empire that wasn't Israelites. As I've done some research on the whole whale thing, I just thought I'd start seeing what happened. Found, found some fascinating videos 
about what humpback whales can do. And maybe you've seen these, but this is, this is fascinating. So I don't know if, if Jonah wasn't, was swallowed or if Jonah, what, what happened with Jonah in, in this time period. But maybe this is what happened. I got a video to, to show you right here. Go ahead and play the, uh, the video. Do it. He's on the belly of a whale. Now that rabbit trail took me down like for like four hours. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> it all got boiled down into a forty-second video. But uh, I just thought it was amazing. I saw that picture of a seal just just hanging out on a humpback's belly, and I couldn't help but think, he's on the belly of a whale. Heard that somewhere else. Like, I don't know if Jonah's just like holding on and, and surfing on a humpback whale uh, to land, or if he's swallowed. It, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I just thought that was really cool that God's creation would do that for, uh, for it. But uh, I don't want to spend too much time there. But there's also, I mean, you could go with that uh, in this literary device of what's going on with, with Jonah. Second thing is this. Jonah is a real person. Some, there's some theories out there that Jonah is a play, that Jonah is put out there. The book of Job in the scripture is a play. It is probably the oldest play ever written. And so it is, it is, a, it is just set up as a play. And so scholars thought maybe Jonah was a play, except the fact that Jonah is a real-life prophet found in 2 Kings 14.25. He's mentioned other places, so it's like, oh, he's a prophet doing other prophety things. So, okay, that kind of ruins that, that theory there, but that's what's going on. Another thing I want you to be very aware of is travel on the ocean is exceedingly dangerous. Crazy dangerous. It is untamable. Think about being on an ocean or the Mediterranean Sea with no GPS, no compass, no sextant, no way of knowing where you are if you can't see the shore. This would be petrifying. Majority of ancient people couldn't swim either, even sailors. Just don't fall in. There's no life jackets. There's no Coast Guard. There's none of that. And so to go out into the ocean is to say, I am willing to risk everything, my whole life, to get away from what God is calling me to do. I'm willing to risk it all. There's also something else really neat and beautiful happening here as well. Like I mentioned before, Jonah is written or incorporated into the Jewish way of thought. At the same time, a book called Nehemiah and Ezra is written. Now, if you know what Nehemiah and Ezra are written, you know that Nehemiah and Ezra are written after the Babylonian captivity 
and they're really the, the restructuring of the identity of Israel. Israel has been destroyed, has been taken uh, captive to Babylon for 40 years. All of the best of the best were, were taken over there. Everybody else got sold into slavery. It is a terrible time. The temple's been destroyed. Everything bad that could happen in your life is happened. Okay, the whole culture is gone. The whole way of life. And so Nehemiah and Ezra are written books about the Jewish people coming back and starting to rebuild that temple, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, become a nation again. And it's all about how God has chosen the people of of Israel, chosen the Jewish nation to be his promised people, to be his chosen people. But then Jonah is written at the same time. And this is is neat, because Jonah is all written about how the chosen people are supposed to go speak repentance onto their enemies. So at the very moment in which they're supposed to be the most inward focused, God is calling them to love others. You see how that, God is saying, I'm not tied to Israel itself. I'm not tied just to this land. I'm not tied to that temple. I'm not tied to this point. I'm not tied to this place. I can meet you out in the ocean. I can meet, I can be the God up in Assyria. I can be the God that's over in Babylon. I can be the God high, low, here, far, everywhere. You see how, how that happens? Because it's so easy for the, for the Jewish people to think, I can only meet God here. I can only meet God when the temple is built. I can only meet God when the right sacrifices are made. I can only meet God when the, the, when the temperature's right in the sanctuary. I can only meet God when we sing those certain songs. And what God is telling us through Jonah is, I'm God everywhere. I'm God every, in every situation. I will find you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went to the town of Joppa where he found a ship bound for a port and paying the fare. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Some things I want to give you to think about today. As we make this, we talked about the context of the, of the book, but I want to make it very personal Refusing to do what God has called you to do has consequences. Refusing to do what God has called you to do has consequences. Jonah is clearly called to go to Nineveh. And he turns the other way. He goes the wrong way. Now in my life, And in your life, if I think about this, I can think about the times in which I knew what the right thing was. I knew what God was calling me to do. And I actively chose the other direction. It's one of those things uh, when you're praying, God, what do you you want me to be when I I grow up? Maybe that that, that whole thing. What do you want me to do? What do you have called for my life? Where, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to grow? What do, you, what, do you, what do you have for me? Well, Jared, I want you to be a pastor. Okay, I'll go be a painter. Appreciate it. <laughs> got it, got it. And we refuse to do what God has called us to do. Now, I, I pick that one. But even as if it's, I want you to, to do this for your neighbor. I want you to, to love this person. I want, oh, you're called to do this. You're, you're called to do that. And you're like, ah, but, but that would be, ah, I'm going to do this instead. 
Like it's an either or question instead of a submission question. What do you have for me, God? Okay, go do that. That's going to be awkward, but I'll do it anyway. But refusing to do what God has called us to do has consequences. As we run into places that are not best for us, God is always calling us into the best possible place for us. As we run into places that aren't the best for us, we find ourselves in trouble. Now, me, I generally blame God when I found myself in trouble in the places that I put myself in. You guys don't do that. It's only the pastor that does that, right? But we've made poor choices. We made dumb decisions. We've built relationships with people that weren't good for us. We find ourselves in pla- doing things that we shouldn't have been doing in the first place. And they're like, God, why are you punishing me and testing me? But what I did is I actively chose to go against God's call in my life. What he's wanted for me. I found, I put myself out in the middle of the ocean. He didn't throw me out there. Even in our wrong choices, God is faithful. Even in our wrong choices, God is faithful. See, Jonah teaches me a lot about how when I make the wrong things, God is still there. When I do the wrong things, God is still there. When I have messed things up, God is still there. That I can't outrun God in my own stupidity, in my own behavior, in my own poor choices. I'm not going to outrun God. He's still there. He's still faithful. He still loves me. He still has a plan of redemption for me to be put on the right track. When I was thinking about this message, all I could think about was this silly whale. And when I was a teenager, all I could think about with Jonah getting swallowed by this whale is how much that would have stunk. Like, really, actually stunk. Like, rotting shellfish stunk. What he would have smelt like, what he would have felt like, what would have been covering him, what would have, this is all I can think about. Poor Jonah, he's in this whale for three days. If I was in that whale for three days, maybe I'm like, God, I could have drowned. That would have been all right. Right? And then it hit me. This was my aha moment. In the whale is mercy. In the whale is mercy. The whale is the, is, is the, the avenue in which God calls him back to himself. Jonah's not in a place to do ministry. Jonah's not in a place to talk to anybody. He just almost died, right? He's frustrated probably with himself and his own choices. He's frustrated with God. He's angry. He doesn't know what what he's doing. And he finds himself in this spot where he is made to heal, made to rest, made to think. And he chooses to pray. Two chapters of Jonah is basically his conversations with God in the belly of this whale. You got nothing else to do. Just hanging out. And as I think about that, maybe think about your own life. And maybe you can think about some of the trials that you've gone through, some of the hard stuff you've gone through. Were you in a whale? I think about a time in my life, and it hit me really hard this week as I was thinking about this. I was in a whale. I wasn't ready to do ministry. I wasn't ready to to be used by God. I wasn't ready to, but I'd made some choices that actively took me away from him. And he gave me a whale. It's kind of a timeout time as a a healing time, as a resting time to say, all right, I'm bringing you back. It's not the most comfortable environment. 
It's not the nicest environment. It's not the Hilton Head. But it's a time of protection and a time to be healed, a time to rest and a time to come in contact with God. The whale's mercy, considering that the alternative to the whale is to drown and die. Maybe you find yourself at a whale-type moment. It's pretty easy to get frustrated and depressed and downright cranky about being in the whale. But what's the alternative? God is actively calling him, you back to his heart. And that takes pain. That, takes, that has consequences. That has issues. Jonah doesn't have the whale experience if he just listens to God in the first place. I think sometimes we get really upset with God about how he's bringing us back to him. But it was our own choices that took us far away from him in the first place. And some of us get mad at God and agitated with God and frustrated with God and we give up on God because of the way he's drawing us back to his heart isn't the way in which we'd like that to happen. But the alternative to the whale is to drown and die. If you're honest with yourself, has God called you to something? I don't know what that is. Everybody's calling is different. But if you're honest with yourself, have you ran in the wrong direction? Did he call you to something and you said, you know what, I'm going to do this? There was an either or question. And we wonder why that, that's failing. We wonder why that relationship has tension. We wonder why the parenting isn't going as smooth as it should. We wonder why all these different things are happening to us. In fact, it's, we've been actively disobedient from a God who has a better plan for us. I think, think of the courage. Now, Jonah is a coward, I think, a little bit in running away from God. But he also has this courage to, to say, all right, guys, it's me. He has this self-awareness to say, it was me. I'm doing a cannonball. Like, did he do a backflip? Like, all right, if I'm going out, I'm going out in style. Hey, what what did he do for this going off the boat? That's my brain and how I read the scripture, sorry. But he's looking there and going, it's me. It was my choices. I'm the one bringing all this pain on you guys in this ship. I'm jumping off. Now, I'm not, and God provides a way in which to bring him back. I think that that moment of recollection or that moment of clarity, I guess, is is something that that takes a lot of courage to go, is it actually, because I would like to be in blame mode. I would like it always to be somebody else's fault. But this moment Jonah has is, you know what? I got to take responsibility for this. It was my dumb decisions. It was my choices. And that starts the process of God bringing him back to his mission. I don't know where you find yourself today, where in your heart, where in your, your story you find yourself, but maybe today is a day in which you need just to kind of look in the mirror Stare the storm in the face, and you go, you know what? Maybe I caused this storm. God, I need you to take me on my journey. Because in that jumping off the boat into the ocean, Jonah is completely submitting to God. There's not really hope. He's three days, and it takes the, the whale, who's a far better swimmer than Michael Phelps, to get three days and three nights back to shore. So it's going to take, Jonah is not getting back in the middle of a storm. It's not going to happen. He is submitting his future, his life, to God. 
And he's just recklessly abandoning it, going, all right, here we go. And in some aspects, in some facets, I think we are approached by the same thing, that we have to ask that hard question, how do I, how do I jump? Maybe I need to jump. I need to start this process of turning it around. I need this process of starting to work my way back to what God has called me to do. That might be stinky. That might be messy. That might be uncomfortable. But God has called us to something better. See, Jonah goes to Nineveh after he gets on dry land and probably takes a shower. He, gets, he goes to Nineveh, this huge city. The Bible says it takes three days for him to walk around it. He preaches, and the city actually listens to him. The king finds out that, that I'm pretty sure he probably still doesn't have a lot of energy in this, this message. He's like, hey, you better quit doing that. You're going to die. Right. Hey, man, stop doing that. You're going to die. Really impassioned preaching. Because he, remember, he still wants fire to fall from heaven. <clears throat> Sorry. And so the king finds out about it and says, hey, guys, let's go fasting. Let's, let's change our ways. Let's stop this. And so the city stops whatever craziness they were doing, and, and Jonah's up on a hill ready to watch the fireworks, and they don't come. And he's like, man, this, I, this, is, this is actually scripture. I'm not even taking license here. All right? Jonah 3.10, uh, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring their destruction. He had threatened. You would have thought that Jonah would have been ecstatic about this. You would have thought he'd be like, whoa, I preached. Someone listened. They didn't get destroyed. This is awesome. But you would have thought that would have been great. I'm telling you, if I start preaching, uh, God tells me, Joliet's going to get you know, fire and brimstone on it. And I start preaching, everybody repents and turns their ways. I'll be doing a little happy dance. Okay, that, that, that would be me. I'd be very excited about it. Do I like everybody in Joliet? Probably not. But I would be very, very excited that that, that happened, okay? Jonah 4, but Jonah, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home, that this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you are gracious and compassionate. You God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. He is indignant with God for saving a city of 250,000 people. Because this is why he ran away. He ran away because he did not want these people saved. Think about that. He has a calling on his life. He's like, no, I don't want this to happen. I'm going to do everything I can not for it to happen. But then when he finally relents and comes into it, God uses him in a powerful, amazing way. Not many of us, our direct actions are going to save 250,000 people's lives, Right? And he is still indignant about it, frustrated about it. Didn't I tell you you're compassionate? Like, that's a, a, a bad thing, right? Didn't I tell you you're slow to anger and you don't like to kill people? Gosh, I just think it's funny. God's, God's reflection on that is awesome. Listen to this. But the, the Lord replies to this temper tantrum. Is it right for you to be angry? I just, I just see Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry? And I think about how I act 
when God doesn't do what I've ordered him to do. I get very cranky with him. When he, and maybe they're really good prayer requests. I mean, really good ones, right? Why didn't you heal the person I wanted you to heal? Why didn't you uh, give me this job? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you provide for this? Why didn't I win the lottery? Uh, why didn't I? Maybe they're good or they're bad. But I get very agitated with God when he doesn't jump to all of my requests because he makes a terrible butler. And Jonah's in the same way. He is wanting to order God around. Like, God, no, I want fire. I want brimstone. I want destruction. I want... And God's like, no, 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 no. But you're slow to anger and you're compassionate and you're caring and you love people. If we're honest, I think with ourselves, a lot of our anger with God comes from how he's disappointed us. But he's disappointed us because... He didn't do what we wanted him to do. That's a hard thing to think about. But at the end of the day, God is God and we are not. God's in charge and we're not. I hate that. Because there's a lot of good things I could do. You know, if God was my genie in the bottle. But it doesn't work that way. Instead, it works in a way, a life of submission. Instead, what, what is Jonah, what is the excitement coming from Jonah? What is the heart change happening in Jonah if he realizes what God is using him for and working through him with? How much pleasure, how much excitement, how much value does he get when he sees that, hey, my preaching helped lead to the saving of 250,000 lives? Instead of that attitude, he's cranky about it. I think sometimes we don't see the good in whatever we're going through or the good in how God is using us. We, we get caught up in how maybe that wasn't answered the way we want, but we can't think creatively about it, about how God is working through us all the time. If you know me you, and, and this church for the last three years, my mom is incredibly sick. She's been sick my whole entire life. And, and there are days, I'll tell you, be honest with you, that dad and I, we go in a corner and we cry about it. Okay, so don't think we're awesome because we uh, <laughs> we just shrug it off all the time. And we ask God and we tell God and we sometimes yell at God, God, heal her, please. But then we think of all the lives she's touched. And we think of the lives she continues to touch. And when you think of the people that the thousand of tr- uh, children's pastors she trained this week, she touches. And that's far more important than physical ailment. God is infinitely creative in how he can use any problem to us, to reaching his mission, to love people, to grow people, to call them to his heart. So even in my life, when I want to sit there and pout and sit there and yell at God about how he's not doing things the way I want him to do, He still says, wait a minute, do you have a right to be angry? Because I am infinitely creative and I can use all this for the good. I'm infinitely creative and you don't know who's in that 250,000 people, Jared. You don't know who they are. You don't know who's going to be touched. You don't know what eternities are going to be changed. You don't know. You don't see the potential like I to see the potential because I'm God and you are not. But this is how God leaves Jonah kind of angry on the outskirts of Nineveh. 
And we don't hear anything else of Jonah. He gets like one sentence in 2 Kings. So I'm left to wonder a lot and to think a lot about what, what happened to the rest of Jonah's life. Does he get over this? I need a Jonah part two, right? I need a second season. This time he gets eaten by the shark. I don't know, you know, what, what's going on, but what, what, is that, what does that look like? What, does he turn from that? Does he leave his racist tendencies? Does he see the bigger picture of God or does he get still stuck and mired in his anger? And that's the same question that's offered to us today. Are we, oh, if we, are we just going to stay in our anger towards God? Are we going to stay in that lifeless place? Or are we going to choose to believe that God is in charge and I'm not? So close today. Maybe you find yourself in one of these three places. Maybe you find yourself in a storm. You know it is very apparent to your heart and to who you are that you've chosen, you've made some, made some choices that took you into a storm. And today you realize those are my issues. That is my choices. God didn't throw me in a storm. I chose to be in a storm. The beautiful part of Jonah is that it foreshadows redemption. It foreshadows what Jesus does. Jesus takes us from our storms in our life and redeems us and allows us to have a path back to God. That no matter how far we run into the ocean, no matter how far we run into the abyss of our lives, the habits and the choices and the junk that we choose, God provides a road of redemption through Jesus Christ back to him. Maybe you find yourself in the whale. You're in a place of waiting. You're in the place of healing. It stinks and it's messy and it, it's really weird but maybe you find yourself in a place of waiting. I I want you to do what Jonah has done is take the time to draw close to God in that. Take the time to draw close to the Lord in in those times. And finally, maybe you're in a place where you're just angry with God. Why are you angry? Ask the question, have you been ordering him around or have you been listening to him? God can take your anger. He's a big boy. But he can also hear your crying and he'll draw close to you in those moments. If you're tired of being angry with him, pray that he would draw close to you and that you could see what he is up to. We're gonna take communion now. And we have a different kind of worship set here at the end. It's a lot slower um, and more uh, reflective as uh, we close today. We're going to take communion this morning. And what I want to do, we practice open communion here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are more than welcome to take communion. You don't have to go through a class or uh, you know, come here for 20 years before you can take communion. You are free to take that with us this morning uh, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. But as we take this communion today, I want us to use it as a moment, as a time, as a as an object lesson for ourselves, because this is what communion is, is the great object lesson that Jesus gives us. Is that no matter where we're at, no matter what sea we've run to, no matter what whale we're inside, no matter how angry we are, God provides a way in which to call us back to his heart. That by the blood and by the bread, God says, this is me broken for you and I would stop at nothing to redeem you. I will stop at nothing to get you back. 
I know you made stupid choices. I know you made dumb things. I know, I know you've actively ran away from me, but I choose you. And I pour my blood out for you and my body is broken for you so that you can be redeemed. And as we take these elements today, I want us to think about that. That no matter how far we run away from God, he is constantly calling us back to him. He's constantly saying, I love you and I care for you and I have a better plan for you. We're gonna take communion on your own through the next song. So whenever you feel led, examine yourself, ask forgiveness of any unrepentant sins. But we, uh, I will not initiate communion for you during the next song. So whenever you feel led and you feel like your heart is ready for that, uh, please uh, take them on yourself, by yourself. But this is the body of Christ broken for you. And this is the blood poured out for you. For your redemption, for your cleansing, for your calling back to his heart. God, thank you so much for today and thank you for this opportunity in this time. God, we ask you to bless us and guide us in all that we do. We ask you to be with us as our heart may be hurting. We ask you to speak into our anger and give us peace. God, we all have issues. We have stuff. We have things going on in our lives. We have the consequences of actions that maybe we're not proud of. But God, we know that you are an infinitely creative God and you can turn any situation for your good. That you know our heart, you know who we are, and you know who we're trying to be. God, I thank you for eternal life in you. Thank you that you love us, that you never give up on us. In Jesus' name I pray.